0: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, uh, everybody, we made it to Thanksgiving week. Jason,
1: we are in Thanksgiving week, and, and you know what? We recovered from the birthday too. So uh, our <laughs> our logins still work, our key cards still work. So uh, we we didn't <laughs> we didn't lose our job after interviewing our boss. I don't know why you keep saying we. You were the one who.
0: You got the look from her when you were asking her some questions—the look that said, "Keep on going with that question, and I'm going to start packing your things into a small cardboard box at the office." <laughs> yeah, but you get the notes all the time. You you get the notes. From I her. do get the yeah. notes. Yeah, so maybe that's going to switch now, though, for, for what it's worth. Uh, so you know, the funny thing. First of all, are you do, are you having a beer here? Wait, have we met? Come on. I just didn't know. Yeah, are you are um, you not? I didn't know well, if maybe you had, I didn't know if you'd reeled yourself back in after, you know, your, your, your performance with our <laughs> boss the other day, if that, like, maybe you thought it was time to dry out a little
1: bit. Uh, well, you were the one bragging in the last episode about you went finally beer shopping for the first time in two years. I did. Instead of relying on Mrs. Wheeler to do all your beer shopping.
0: Uh, that's correct. And, and this time I'm having a porter, which I don't usually do. Yeah. Uh, and it's called a pecan peat. Wow. Have you had this? I have not. It looks familiar though. Where's it from? Uh, This is from, I think it said it was from Cisco, Texas. Yes, from Cisco, Texas. And um, where is this? Yeah, I don't usually do porters. We'll see how this goes. Is Cisco the hill country? Where is that? Uh, Cisco. Yes, I think so. I, I, you know, I, as soon as I said it, I I know of Cisco. And as soon as I said it, I thought he's going to ask me where that is. And I'm going to be stumped. You lived all over the state, man.
1: You should know this stuff.
0: I that, that is absolutely true. It is
1: uh, well while while I look that I'll up. I'll tell you what, what I'm you having? having. I'm having the uh, the bombshell pilsner. This is, bombshell, yeah. It, it says it's beer for people who like beer, and it's brewed and canned by Southern Star Brewing in Conroe, Texas. I'll tell you where Conroe hmm. is. Conroe is. I on know I, where that is on I-45, just north of Houston, uh, before you get to the well, between the Woodlands and um, Huntsville
0: okay i've done this drive a gazillion times as i'm escaping texas for different things and uh cisco I, this is why I, texas yeah every night you got to escape um cisco is between it's way outside uh, to the west of fort worth just before you get to abilene it's on uh, i-20 i was way off i know that i've seen that well i bet you that that would be considered maybe hill country wouldn't it
1: i don't know it's probably because like...
0: it gets a little bit numb probably not you got to go south of there yeah it's like windmill All right, so turbine area. I picked this pecan peat for this week since it's uh, you know Thanksgiving week. You know maybe some pecan pie. I don't know if this is a pecan pie kind of beer or if it's you know just straight up pecan. Is it but good? We're gonna find out. Weird thing happened the other day. By the way, what happened? Um, I was out shopping <laughs> and um, like shopping at the mall. We were at the mall. Really, I haven't been to the mall in a while. Yeah. And so we were out shopping at the mall and I, you know, saw some things and and I was kind of amazed that there were some sales that actually enticed me to buy some things. Everybody keeps on talking about how, you know, prices are through the roof right now. And, you know, it's unbelievable out there. You can't find stock, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I couldn't find shoes in my size, but um, so there was a stock issue there. But other stuff I was finding and finding it on sale, like really marked down here's the problem. I only, and I don't know why I did this. I only bought stuff for me while I was there. Like I could have actually knocked out some of my holiday shopping, but there's just something about it where I just can't make myself start.
1: Even things were on sale. You're so selfish, man. Mrs. (laughs) Wheeler, once again, I mean, she, she comes to the rescue and takes care of you. She was with me.
0: There's no way that I could have like bought stuff for her. Well, but I could have bought things for other people, and <laughs> I don't know why I didn't. Wow,
1: man! <laughs> but that's... I cleaned up. But was it was it for your? You know, I guess it was all for yourself for for work stuff, or what was it? Just
0: yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I came across some pants I liked. Got, got some jeans that I liked. Again, the shoes. You know, I, I liked the shoes, but they didn't have the right size on those. So I think that shoes might still be caught up in supply chain problems. But probably so. Beyond that, I mean, stuff was there. It was on sale. And uh, I made out like you, a bandit. Should... I'm, I'm going to be sweating bullets come Christmas week, but I made out like a bandit.
1: Man, you should get out more often because there are sales all the time. And Yeah, you but know. you
0: but if you listen to or read reports right now, oh boy, we're, we don't have anything. There's nothing on the shelves. It, you know, you better do it now. You got to get out there now. Look out for higher prices, inflation, inflation. And it didn't seem that bad in that one little microcosm where
1: I was. Hmm. Well, I've done some, some Christmas shopping. I mean, not really. I, I ordered my mom a few things um, mm-hmm. because she's out of state, so that's taken care of. But um, I've really got to buckle down and do this stuff. But yeah, like you said, w- what should we expect when we get to the stores? That's the big question. I think we're going to get some inspiration right now. Yeah, so we have, um, we're have we going to talk about the supply chain here and, and whether it's the new normal or the new abnormal, whichever way you look at it. So we have two different perspectives on the podcast with us today. Um, one person who studies this stuff and looks at it all around the world, and another person who lives it right here in Texas and uh, across the country. So our first guest is Margaret Kidd. She is uh, on the line with us. She's from the University of Houston. She's the Program Director of Supply Chain and Logistics Technology. So that means she is probably neck deep in this all the time and knows exactly what's going on.
0: Neither one of us has started uh, shopping for gifts yet, even though every expert keeps saying to do that because the supply chain is just such a mess in so many places right now. I think that a lot of people have just heard this for months and months and months now that the supply chain is disrupted. I think sometimes it's probably even being used as an excuse when it's not the problem in some cases. Uh, how much longer is this going to continue like this?
2: I think the reality of the situation is that it's going to take another 12 to 18 months for our economy and the global economy to approach a new normal. I wouldn't call it normality, but a new normal. Um, part of the problem here with the disruption and the supply chain crunch is we have consumers spending record amounts of money on e-commerce and at the mall. And you know that was made available from savings, surplus savings, um, folks working at home, not commuting, not going on vacations and and not not engaging with services such as going to the gym or an S or the beauty shop, for instance. Um, so that, and then then factor in three government stimulus checks. So a lot of mm-hmm. um, extra income, and we've been on a shopping holiday for almost two years. Well,
1: what has to happen in 12 to 18 mm-hmm. months, Professor Kidd? Is it vaccinations in other parts of the world? What, what, what do we need to be watching for that will suggest to us that the supply chain and kinks are getting worked out?
2: Well, one of the problems we saw originally was um, it, truly the impact of COVID. So, so much of our manufacturing is in China and Southeast Asia. And as COVID spread, you had factories close intermittently over the last two years. In fact, Vietnam was closed from middle of July through the first of October. And I mean, that's a major manufacturing center for goods that come to the US and, and, and to Europe. Um, so we're gonna have to see vaccination rates increase in other parts of the world. And part of that is providing supplies of vaccines, the vaccine access. So if you look at vaccination rates, say in Vietnam, literally just two months ago, I mean, you had a, less than 5% of the population was vaccinated. About eight weeks ago, everyone in Ho Chi Minh City was vaccinated. So there's 97 million people in the country, and 10 million got a, a shot in their arm, you know, a couple, you know, several weeks ago. Um, but we need to continue mm. rolling out and providing access in these big manufacturing hubs, which would include Indonesia, Thailand, mm. India, um, Vietnam, Bangladesh, the Philippines,
1: and China. Yeah. Mm. Because that's where so
0: many of those container ships are coming to the U.S. from. Uh, I am glad, Professor Kidd, that you immediately hit on this issue of people buying so much. We keep on hearing about it being uh, a problem with producers, a problem with transportation, and we know that we have all of those issues, but retail sales have just been bonkers this year, Uh, and people keep looking around for someone to blame for all these supply chain issues. It turns Turns out it it might be us. I
2: think you you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, Retail sales came out um, this last week and it was $638 billion that was spent um, in October. And so if you look at where retail sales were pre pandemic, Um, at the same time, and this was a substantial increase. Also, we've got to look at e-commerce. If we go back two years prior to COVID, e-commerce as a percentage of all retail sales was around 10%. I mean we've touched on 15%. So that's like a 57% increase in the last 2 years in a very short time frame. So with any kind of business imagine your sales going up 57% and then do you have the infrastructure mm-hmm. to support those sales? And so that's been part of the problem right there. It's just an increased amount of spending, a enormous amount going into e-commerce. Um, but we do anticipate that this is, you know, that consumers will slow their spending. It's not sustainable at this pace. I think within the next six months or so, um, we'll be approaching more normal spending. I mean, I see it even here in Houston. People are getting out and going to sporting events. They're going to concerts. They are going back to the mm-hmm. nail salon and, and beauty shops. So the service sector is definitely picking up.
0: And that's going to cut into what people are spending on goods, therefore, and so we might see a little bit of a reprieve there. I do want to tack this on to the end of it, though. It's not just consumers who have been buying up and hoarding. Let's talk about businesses because their supply chains were so disrupted. They've been through so much that they didn't anticipate in these past couple of years. And so in a lot of cases, they've been snatching up as much raw material and different products that they need as well so that they can well, make so what they true. make. That's
2: true. So if you're in commercial real estate, you might be purchasing larger quantities of paint or air conditioning spare parts just to be prepared in case there is a problem down the line.
1: Well, let's go back to what you said about people slowing their spending down, forecasting that. If people slow their spending down six months from now, if shells get restocked, do prices come back down as well, too, Professor Kidd? Well,
2: y'all give me one second here because I... I'm very big on using data and I want to be exacting on this.
0: Such a professor, too. And I saw you as you were about to sit down and you had this stack of papers. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know if she looks more like a professor or a college student walking around with this enormous stack of papers um, and a computer. No,
2: I I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than listening to someone talk about a subject and, you know, they're just talking through their you know what. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, totally I mean, agree. you know, I am a college
1: Yeah, that's usually what we (laughs) do.
2: We
0: we bring you on to be the
1: expert.
2: Right. Okay, (laughs) so, um, you know, this excess demand and then, you know, factor in the covid disruptions, labor, et cetera, um, you know, has created a number of issues. But the biggest one right now, it's called inflation. So we're seeing the highest inflation we've had in over 30 years um the cpi this last week came out at 6.2 percent the
1: the cpi Um, is the consumer price index
2: right the consumer price index if you um if you look globally um food prices are up 33 percent here in the u.s There's approximately 12% of the population that are in food insecure households. So if you're working in an hourly wage job, a 30% increase in the cost of your fuel and your groceries is is going to not going to be manageable. And and that that represents mm-hmm. about 38 million people that are impacted um, by inflation outside of the U.S. Inflation impacts the less developed world um, more severely than it does the U.S. But we do have vulnerable populations here in Houston. There is approximately half a million people that live in food insecure households. But do you expect the
1: prices to come mm-hmm. back down, though? Once people slow their spending, once shelves get restocked, once the supply chain works itself out, are these prices that we're paying now going to remain or will inflation correct itself?
2: I think eventually inflation will correct itself in the intermediate term. I would look for prices decreasing over the next six to 12 months. Is it going to happen right away? No, absolutely not. But I think in the intermediate and long term, um, we're in much better shape than we are currently.
0: I hope that you're right. I hope these companies don't get accustomed to charging what they're charging and bringing in what they're bringing in when things return back to pre-pandemic, uh, quote unquote, normal. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit while we're on the subject of companies. Um, some of these have been adapting to, to what we've been seeing these past couple of years. I saw something the other day about uh, a manufacturer, uh, you know, not using as many chips in uh, a snowplow, for instance, and going back to this old joystick handheld model so that they didn't have to put as many chips in there just because there's not as many chips available. This is really a time for companies to have to be uh, almost do gymnastics to figure out how to deal with this.
2: Well, certainly manufacturers that were agile and could pivot um, and, you know, tweak some designs. I mean, that was certainly one one way to deal with this. But, you know, as I tell my students, um, you know, Charles Darwin pegged it. Um, when he said, "The survival of a species is about adaptation and collaboration," so you know you look at companies throughout the world, and you know they've had to band together, different industries, and collaborate with people they might be competing with. Um, but this was, you know, the proof in the, is in the pudding. On um, some of some of these companies have really excelled um, in this environment. And so this is our new normal, and collaboration is a big key.
1: Professor, we saw some news from Walmart the other day. Walmart said, hey, the shelves are stocked. We're flush with money. We're good to go for Christmas shopping. Um, When I read that, I'm like, well, heck, is is there really a supply chain issue now? Because Walmart has everything.
2: Walmart has one of the best supply chains in the world. They're very diversified. Their largest import distribution center is here in the Houston area with over 5 million square feet, but they also have a footprint in other major port cities. And yes, their, their distribution centers and their warehouses are full. Um, you may not get the exact model or color or brand that you're looking for, but the merchandise is definitely in the stores. So, so
1: should the federal government follow Walmart's model here, it sounds like, or it seems, it seems like everyone should follow Walmart's model, huh?
2: Well, if you've heard me, <laughs> this is a trap. Um,
1: <laughs> do, you, do you have preconceived ideas about Walmart? I don't know. I, I didn't mean to lead you into something. No,
2: no, no. They're on my advisory board. Oh. Um No. um, You know, if you've listened to my numerous interviews over the last two years, uh, we really need to have supply chain managers diversifying where they're bringing imports into the U.S. One Mm -hmm. of the big problems is 40 percent of all Asian containers go into L.A. Long Beach. That's just a natural bottleneck as it is but then add in this excessive trade and you, you understand now why there's 110 ships sitting out in san pedro bay mm-hmm.
0: i was going to ask you that exact question next because you know years ago we saw the panama canal getting some uh some rework uh, so so they could handle more ships and so forth uh does this ultimately benefit big ports like the University of Houston, which is right down the road from you? Are we going to see uh, some some real memory when this is all said and done with manufacturers and shippers and retailers figuring out we've got to create some better routes here and not take it all into that same bottleneck it, in Southern the port California? Of Houston,
1: I think you meant to say it's not, not the University of Houston, right? The Port
0: of Houston. Didn't I say you, Port you, of Houston? You have Houston? H on your
1: mind, Jaybird. That's all right, man.
0: I think I said Port of Houston, which is right down the street from the University of Houston. We're going to have to play that back.
2: Okay, Um,
0: But that's what I meant either way.
2: Well, What we've seen over the last 10 years is some slippage of trade from West Coast ports to Texas Gulf Coast and Southeast Atlantic ports. So that would include Port of Houston, Port of Freeport. Uh, Port of Savannah, Port of Charleston. And, and certainly there are very strong lessons learned about diversifying your ports of entry and also about diversifying where your suppliers are located and where your manufacturing facilities are located. I anticipate that we will see a movement towards some near-shoring, um, whether that's in Mexico or Northern Triangle countries like Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, um, but I, I definitely think we will see some movement that direction. And at the end of the day, um, have Texas Gulf Coast ports and Southeast Atlantic ports benefited during this supply chain crunch? Um, there's no question. I mean, we're seeing record trade um, come through all the port systems within the U.S.
1: Professor, you mentioned nearshoring. That's a term I'm not familiar with. Is that taking things to Mexico or, or uh, any of the Latin American countries and then putting them on rail and bringing them to the U.S.? Is that what that is
2: well certainly a rail is an option in mexico but nearshoring essentially means you know you're manufacturing close to the borders the majority of our manufacturing is in china southeast asia um, very long distances and we see we've seen uh, what has happened when you have a major um, disruption such as COVID.
0: So we may see this change, the, the sort of footprint of manufacturing uh, around the world. And a lot of that manufacturing come a, a lot closer to our doorstep here or maybe in, inside the U.S.
2: I think that, that that's a very strong possibility. And certainly if we had some policy responses um, to attract manufacturing back to America, but you also we need to be realistic about this. I mean, the wages in the U.S. are very high vis-a-vis uh, where manufacturing is currently occurring. So it has to be profitable for these companies to onshore. And I think the reality of the situation is nearshoring is going to be the path forward, uh, with you know a portion of manufacturing.
1: Professor Kidd, part of the infrastructure package that that passed not too long ago um, is for ports, is for railroads, freight and passenger railroads. Um, Is is any of that going to make a dent at all, or is that just long-term, 10 years out type stuff?
2: Well, any type of infrastructure project is long-term in nature. Um, We have needed to upgrade America's infrastructure for decades. Um, The American Society of Civil Engineers does an annual report card on our infrastructure, on our roads, bridges, and ports, and we have a C-. So I think it's great that the Biden administration has this legislation passed but this is more intermediate and long-term. You know, one of the things that I think is really critical are the ports. We need those funds for dredging. Um, All ports dredge, right? So especially here in the Gulf Coast, uh, we just kicked off The Project 11, which is deepening and widening the Houston ship channel, the Port of Freeport is in the process of deepening theirs. But this is an ongoing process. So we we need that funding um, and we need funding for digital infrastructure. U.S. ports are decades behind European and Asian ports in terms of automation and in terms of you know, operating in a digital system. So European ports use something called a port community system where all data is exchanged between the carriers, the truck drivers, the rail, Mm -hmm. uh, the shippers, the port authorities. um, And, you know, it's kept on an online platform and the U.S. has not adopted this. And that certainly would help optimize that would certainly help optimize operations. I know Port of LA has a trial run going on, a, a type of port community system. And you know, I, I, I'd love to see more port authorities adopting this technology.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And and maybe we'll start to see some of that now that some of that money is flowing infrastructure-wise and certainly some hard lessons have been learned here over these past couple of years about getting things moved around. We've talked a lot about long-term, you know, where the solutions come from and what we're likely to see. In the more near term, though, we've got all these ships that are sitting offshore there in California. We've got the containers, it seems like, stacked sky high there at those ports. Uh, Everybody keeps saying, you know, there's too many ships, there's not enough truckers, there's not enough this, there's not enough that. What needs to happen here in the near term to break this logjam and get things at least closer to normal?
2: First of all, there is a misconception that these ships can just turn around and go through the Panama Canal and choose another port. Some of these ships are, you know, 18 000 to 20,000 TEUs, which is a 20-foot equivalent unit, that, that's a, a container, right? And so the Panama Canal can host a ship that holds about 14,000 containers. So there's limitations on what can go through the Panama Canal. We are seeing a number of major retailers charter their own ships and charter their own planes. And I mean, that's, that's a temporary fix, certainly. Um, And those are going to a variety of ports and airports, you know, as they come back into the US. Um, I think it's a little bit misleading that, you know, the thought that LA Long Beach was going to operate 24 seven, the reality is the warehouses have to open 24 seven and the truckers have to be willing to drive 24 seven. So that's gonna take some time, but if everyone can agree, To those hours, and you, you know, beef up your workforce. I mean, eventually, all of those ships, that cargo will be on LA Long Beach terminal and then distributed throughout the u.s now one of the advantages of the texas gulf coast in particular port houston and port freeport is within a thousand miles we're we have connectivity to over 152 million people and dallas is certainly a very important market along with austin and in san antonio
1: that's a good point here's my last question i have for you professor kid are you done with all your holiday shopping now
2: well, I'm notorious and I wait till the last minute, but I, <laughs> you're
0: our kind of people then. <laughs> um,
2: I will probably start shopping in the next week or so. I, I mean, hmm. you know, I'm the kind of shopper that goes in and the candy canes are gone at Target when I sh- show up on Christmas Eve. Um, I do plan to shop before Christmas Eve this year. Uh.
0: Okay, you know what? That just lit a fire under (laughs) me because you just described, I think, both of us. I've got one more before we let you go here just because of the setting that you're in, which again, is, uh, I proudly proclaim is my alma mater, the University of Houston. Um, How helpful is it or or how challenging is it right now to be teaching the next generation uh, who will be in supply chain and logistics with all of this going on around them? And might we be better off because they are learning at a time like this and so their thought process is going to be wired in a whole different way than the last generation.
2: This has been a magical opportunity for students. I mean, they're they're learning from a real world crisis. And, you know, forget these case studies we show them. Um, this is all current. And they're seeing the importance of collaboration and the importance of having an agile response. Hmm.
0: Well said. Uh, Professor Kidd, thank you for taking the time and for bringing those reams of data there with you. Uh, We really do appreciate uh, you shedding some light on this. We just have 12 to 18 months left to go.
2: The reality of the situation is we're probably 12 to 18 months before we get to the new normal.
0: So uh, after hearing from Margaret there, uh, I wanna go back to the beginning and and think about this a little bit that I really should have uh, maybe picked up a few things for other people because that nightmare scenario that she describes there I have lived that nightmare scenario I honestly have been there where even the candy canes are gone I love that she said that because when you're shopping and the candy canes are gone, you know that things have gone totally sideways on you. You know that you are desperate and that people probably aren't going to get good things from you this time.
1: You, you shop for yourself on Black Friday or before Black Friday and you shop for everyone else a few days before Christmas. What, OK, wait, but wait here's the thing. Earlier,
0: Wheeler. Here's the thing, though. One year and I think we've talked about this before. I gave cash to people that's all I gave was cash to everybody
1: yeah I missed that you got nothing
0: I didn't even know you at that point (laughs) Uh, and even if I did, I wouldn't have given you any cash. <laughs> um, but the reason I gave cash was because I waited till the last minute and the mall closed earlier than I thought it was going to. And it was just there was no way I was going to get it done. So I just melted down and I gave everybody lots of cash. I spent way more money than I would have spent if I had bought them gifts, because when you give them cash, it has to look like a respectable amount. You know,
1: you, you really should Here's watch the, the news more often, though. I mean, they announce <sighs> when the malls closed. They announce when I sales agree. happen on Black Friday. I mean, come on. you need If to only I
0: had to access to the news or someone who does the news, True. Um, here's the little nugget that I have buried in the middle of this podcast. Okay. So for people who listened this far, here's your nugget. Go. We spoke the other day on, on, since I do do the news, is that the right term for it? I do the news. Uh, I do since do I do, news. do do the news, we spoke with a guy the other day who represents hundreds of companies that sell on Amazon okay and he helps them to deal with supply chain issues. Well, needless to say this guy's been like stupid busy lately. But he gave me such a great little pe- little little nugget that I'm going to give you now and that is he said a lot of these companies, you know, overordered, uh, you know, just trying to get enough stock because they were worried about stock and also he says there's no way that everything is going to get to where it's supposed to go by the time it's supposed to be there. So what's going to happen is that all of this stuff is going to come in but it's going to come in after christmas okay by then a lot of people will have made different selections for christmas gifts etc etc so guess what that means in january in january you got a lot of late stock coming in that these stores are going to have to get rid of so cash will be king cash and gift cards so If you've never thought of giving people cash and gift cards, they might really appreciate it come January when their dollars go further because
1: this stuff gets marked down. Well, that's it. And the podcast is over. I mean, we're just.
0: I've already told my family, just give me money. And and usually, you know, I guess that's supposed to be kind of garish or whatever. I'm like, just give me money or gift cards. I'm good with that.
1: (laughs) Hey, before we get too far away from Margaret Kidd, it it is important to to settle an issue here. Uh, Oh, gosh. we, We did rewind the tape. And oh, and yeah, we did, yeah. Uh, and and Wheeler, you
0: know what? I forgot to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's uh, okay. I,
1: I knew you wouldn't, so that's why I am because you always acknowledge I, it when, when I, I when never I fly. we were around the tape, do and that. Wheeler said the University of Houston when he intended to say the Port of Houston, and the yes. fact that he was so combative about it had us cracking up and had us to immediately rewind the tape as soon as Margaret got off the line with us.
0: I um, and I think I actually almost gaslighted you there. You You looked so sure at first. And then after I like really went after you for like, I mean, poor Margaret. I mean, we have this world class professor, this expert sitting there. And she's just waiting for us to, like, battle that out. And she looked like she was totally over it, right? She's
1: thinking, who are we on the line with here, right?
0: (laughs) And I don't blame her. uh, But I never do that. I'm usually the gotcha guy who says, oh, I think you meant to say blah, 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 blah there. I never do that. I swore that I had said. I would have bet you money. See, you could have gotten cash from me right there. I would have bet you money that I said it. I learned my lesson.
1: I will put a wager on that next time. Because everyone on the line here, our producers and everyone else heard. Uh, University of, of Houston. Well, I heard it too
0: when when it was uh, when it was played back, and and so my apologies. Well, let, let's, there, that's that's better than
1: cash. That, that, well, that's that's almost better than cash. We'll save. That. I it rarely your, give an apology. Yeah, that'll be your ringtone.
0: Uh, But we digress uh, because, okay, so Margaret, you know, you mentioned at the outset that we had somebody on today who, you know, studies this, sees it all over the world, is totally on top of it, has that 50,000-foot view, uh, but that we also have someone today who lives this every day, day in and day out, night in and night out uh, lately because it's been one of those all-consuming jobs He's actually been on the podcast with us here before, Aaron Armistead. He's the regional vice president at NFI Industries, and basically, you know, he is like you said, neck deep. He might be eyeball deep uh, in logistics every day. Uh, his company there has, you know, rail and rail cars and trucks and warehouses. You name it. They're they're responsible for getting stuff to where it's supposed to go, which these days is not an easy job.
1: Aaron, welcome back, man. It's been uh, a year since we've, we've had you on the podcast here. We just talked to a, an economist from the University of Houston, and uh, she said it will be another 12 to 18 months until what she said was going to be the new normal when the supply chain works itself out. You guys are on the front row. You guys see this. You guys are living the supply chain. What's going on? What's backed up? Is it the railroads? Is it the ports, warehouses? What is it?
3: Well, first I'll say we'll have to st- stop calling it the new normal and call it the new abnormal, Mm -hmm. which was a phrase that we had an analyst uh, share with us yesterday. Uh, You know, it seems like for a couple of years now, we've been dealing with, uh, you know, exceptional events, you know, but what you have right now, you know, here we are a year later, you know, talking about some of the same things, you know, what we had a year ago was, you know, consequence of a reopening, obviously pent up demand, uh, which we still have, you know, still seeing the results of that right now. Uh, There was a need to restock inventories and, you know, the retailers have never been able to catch up from Mm -hmm. that uh, pandemic reopening. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a strong rebounding economy. You obviously have some stimulus to factor in there that's put some money in people's pockets to help sort of, you know, uh, keep the economy, um, you know, strong moving forward. And there's just been no ability to catch up. And that goes from, you know the container lines bringing the containers over to the ports to the railroad to the trucking to the you know warehouse warehouse space i mean yeah you know vacancy levels i don't know that have ever been you know this you know this constrained mm-hmm. and so are uh, you still got, are you guys
1: still having trouble finding people like for warehouses for
3: for trucking positions oh, and things like that absolutely so you know then you've got the whole labor issue which you know it's interesting to be able to talk about these things and to know that uh we're not the only ones talking about these things amongst ourselves anymore there's so much coverage and headlines on the news now but yeah you know so you think about trucking you hear about drivers and shortages of drivers and how it's a tough job and you know is there a driver problem is there a driver pay problem you know your answer to that may depend on your perspective on the industry or your role in it but you know the reality of it is if you had enough drivers um, you may not have enough people working in the warehouse to load and unload the trucks. And mm-hmm. so you have a tremendous amount of inefficiency occurring uh, just from the challenge to find people to, to, to staff different roles in this process. Um,
0: so, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, when people go to the store and they see an empty shelf and they think, geez, this product is wiped out now, too. And how long is it going to be before they start making more of it? Uh, the chances are that that might be sitting in a container somewhere or, or more likely in a warehouse, uh, because uh, I know you work at NFI Industries. Another big player, Prologis, uh, just uh, held an investor call the other day and they were basically saying, gosh, the sky's the limit for us right now, earnings potential wise, because we are just totally filled up. I mean, we, our spaces are just taken up right now. Is that what you're seeing in warehouses where they're just loaded with goods right now?
3: Absolutely. So, you know, it could be on a ship parked off of the port of LA Long Beach. It could be in a container, you know, stacked at a port location off of a ship, or it could be in a warehouse. And you know, we work quite a bit. One of our one of our industry partners, real estate industry partners, shared with us last week that there were 15 markets under three percent vacancy, under three percent vacancy, and that you know the the top two or three big ones were under one percent vacancy. So there's just no place left to put anything. So
0: you know, a lot of companies. Put that in perspective, real quick, Aaron. Is that like just crazy abnormal?
3: Very, very much. I mean, there are business opportunities. And there just aren't buildings available to Hmm. provide solutions. You know, so what you had is you had a number of retailers, you know, try to anticipate and get ahead of this problem and order early. And now the question is, did that just make things worse? Hmm. By bringing things in early and, you know, creating congestion, creating sort of the bottleneck that we're seeing now that it's gonna, really gonna be hard to undo in a short period of time.
1: Well, yeah, how, how do you undo it then? If, if there's no vacancy in warehouses, if you're trying to hire truckers and, and you can't get anyone to take those positions or as many as you need, how do you undo this?
3: You know, I, I would say there's definitely no easy answer. And I would say that there are conversations being had now as a result of this challenge and, you know, what you have is you have a carefully orchestrated supply chain that's had a lar- very large wrench thrown into it and is now forcing the different parties that work together and created that balance to try to work together to figure out how to solve this. And, you know, you hear about the the decision, you know, the ports in, in Southern California to open up that 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. shift and then subsequently no drivers showing up during those shifts to pick up any you know, containers to get ahead? Well, so you know, is it the ports issue because the port's difficult to work with? Is it a lack of drivers? Is it a lack of drivers willing to work in the middle of the night? Or is it that no driver wants to go pick up a container if he has no place to deliver it because the warehouses that they deliver to aren't open at four in the morning or five in the morning or six in the morning? You know, so you have these sort of inter- interconnected relationships that have to be worked out, you know, together. And, you know, it's going to take time. Demand, as strong as it is, doesn't seem to open up any opportunity to really mm-hmm. solve any of that in the short term.
1: So, Aaron, not to keep harping on truck drivers here, but it sounds like if the warehouses have no vacancy and they're they're just jam-packed with, with all this stuff, um, it, my first reaction is, well, you need more truck drivers to get this stuff to the actual retailers or to the the you know businesses or end users. So is the truck driver issue is, is there a shortage of truck drivers that's really hampering emptying out these warehouses?
3: You know so uh, you know like like, like I think I referenced to earlier, it depends on your perspective. So there are companies that certainly have enough drivers that could probably recruit and bring on enough drivers but can't buy trucks can't get trucks from the truck manufacturers or Mm. cannot find trailers so we have even if we had drivers we would be short of actual trucks and trailers for the drivers to handle you know the Mm. semiconductor uh you know shortage is definitely impacting truck manufacturing you know we've nfi works very closely with uh, our you know our partners that we buy trucks from. We're a fairly large purchaser of of Class A trucks. We tend to co- partner close with them, order early, and we are having our orders you know cut into 2022. And we're not alone. And there's just uh, there, there's just not an availability there. So you know certainly there are ways to make the you know the truck driving you know job more attractive pay is certainly an issue you know drivers have not received you know an effective pay increase and in, in a very very long period of time they're starting to see that now which is a good thing uh, but there are definitely some real challenges there but that's not the only challenge
0: yeah. Just hearing about all of that gives you a headache trying to solve it in your own head. Like where, you know, where do you even begin uh, to, to try to solve something like that? Uh, Aaron, I want to ask you, uh, because last year we talked about how difficult of a year it had been for businesses, because, you know, everything it seems like every time we turn around, we hear unprecedented and they're having to figure out how to shift on the fly and don't know what to expect, uh, you know, a week, a month, six months down the road. Are you getting the sense now that we've been in this for a couple of years and it's just been nuts? Are businesses starting to figure this out uh, as to how to get their business going correctly here and, and keep that supply flowing? Do you think they're getting it?
3: I uh, I think there continue to be real challenges. So, hmm. you know, let's let's you know, set aside just the supply chain, just the moving of the product. But what about costs? You know, supply demand issues can create upward cost pressures and you know, we've seen uh, some partners of ours, customers of ours really, uh, really willing to do whatever it takes. You know, it's one thing to pay more to transport and solve a supply chain problem. It's another thing if you miss the sale entirely because Mm -hmm. your product never arrived. And so you know the the upward cost pressure, I think, from all of this, you know, set aside the lost sales that have occurred and some of the missed opportunity and and the empty shelves. And if you're not there now, will people remember your brand name in the future? I mean, I think there's some real cha- challenges that everyone is in the middle of. You know, I would say that it seems like some of the larger retailers, um, while you know, not immune and still impacted, you know. Uh, You know, have been able to navigate this maybe um, more easily or have had more resources to navigate this than, you know, than some of the smaller businesses. So I think that's still a real issue. Mm. We
1: we started the conversation about uh, 12 to 18 months. You know, that's the the new normal. You, uh, I think, probably correctly said it's the new abnormal. But my question now is what does the new abnormal actually look like? Are we, is this it?
3: Yeah. So, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, if we talk about the freight economy in 2018, there was a very strong freight economy. And you think about some back-to-back hurricanes and some pull forward from some tariffs that uh, you know some importers tried to get ahead of, and then things eased up in 2019. So while it certainly feels right now that it's all doom and gloom, uh, you know some relaxed customer demand. Uh, some entrance into the market from a driver and labor perspective, which it sounds like there are some people coming back to work, either, you know, feeling confident to come back to work or, or being motivated from a compensation level to come back to work uh, that entering the market and, and, you know, the entrance to, you know, driving and trucking industry, the barriers are fairly low. So we are seeing some influx and some entry into that. So, you know, this, um, you know, and then what about customer demand? Customer demand now is strong. What is the inflation story going to be? You know, are we, you know, we we have money now we want to spend, but there is a point at which you may think twice about some, some expenditures if things get so expensive. So what is that? Does that dampen demand? And you, you put those three together. And, and certainly you can see a scenario where this could ease up much sooner than that 12 to 18 months. The economy stays strong and, you know who knows.
0: Uh, here's the last one I've got for you. Uh, you know we all tend to sort of focus in on what the retailers are going to do. You know, do the checkers uh, have to work on uh, you know Thanksgiving and you know how far up to to Christmas do they keep working? I'm curious about the rest of the chain here. I don't know what your schedule is usually like around the holidays, but I'm just curious about what this year looks like if you work in supply chain or logistics. Are are you guys likely to be there till the very end? And and is that normal? Normal.
3: So uh, you know, being on call, so to speak, and being uh, being available, uh, you know, twenty-four hours, you know, you know, part of part of the lifestyle uh that you probably get used to, you guys probably understand that as well as uh, yeah, as we
1: do. Familiar with it. Uh, podcast demands are really tough here. You, can, you <laughs> can't imagine it's over the top. Uh,
3: but yeah, I think this this year, I mean it's you know burnout uh you know employees feeling overworked that's been a real issue and we have to remind ourselves to, to talk about it it's almost we don't ask about it anymore because we all know what we're living and how you know how nonstop it is and how difficult it is you know there's business opportunity but it's very difficult to navigate all this there's just no place to to move anything there's no slack you know on the rope to pull on and um So, you know, we're talking about that and, you know, we do, people need to take time off. I mean, this is, uh, people have worked very hard. The pandemic, you know, people worked remotely, they worked harder probably than they ever had because there was no separation from that work and personal life. And following up, now we're kind of working our way back in the office and things are just as tough as not tougher. So we have to really be aware of that and that is a real challenge.
1: So my last question, Aaron, are are you done with your Christmas shopping yet? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a no.
3: So, you know, uh, we have, uh, we did, uh, we've been watching this, so we have what well, we did order order earlier this year than we did last year. Uh, yeah. But I think we will probably, uh, you know, the kids are older and are different. Uh, I think we'll, we'll do some last minute shopping. You know, we're all gonna do last minute shopping. So that's gonna be really interesting. But no, we've done the bulk up, we've done the bulk of it already, and it's in the garage.
2: For about, Boy, for about a month already, any better. for about a month already. Yeah.
3: This month. is starting to for feel
0: month. bad. Jason, we're the last two, but, you know, that's probably usually that way, too. So
1: I, I know. It, yeah, totally how it is. We'll have to go to the stores instead of relying on on uh, online purchases. I though.
0: may see you there. We may be fighting over the same last product.
1: Right. Uh, Aaron, that was fantastic, man. Thank you so much and appreciate your expertise. Uh, two years in a row now from NFI Industries. Let's talk with you guys. So you know what? Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, and, and thanks again for uh, for the last two years. Really appreciate that. And um, you know what? Next week, we're really excited about the, the next couple of weeks here because we have some really cool uh, episodes. And we're not gonna not gonna give it away. Uh, you know, too much about who we're talking to. One of them though is clearly uh, breaks the record for the the farthest away interview we've ever conducted in a, yeah. in one of the most remote parts of the planet. Uh, We're excited about that one, and then coming up um, probably right after that, we're also going to one of the state's most historic bars in San Antonio that you've never heard of, probably. I've lived in Texas 21 years. I've been to a a lot of old taverns and places like that. Uh, It's not the Manger Hotel, which Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of. This is a different place, and we're going to go with one of the uh, state's biggest CEOs to that
0: place. And, and 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 it's all about something that was scribbled down on a napkin that changed
1: all of our lives <laughs> so that's you know? it for uh that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening and subscribe if, if you don't know anyone who subscribes give that to them as yes. as a holiday gift that can be your it's free Friday that's gift. best it's free uh, and and
0: and when you're there sequestered with the family and friends for Thanksgiving uh, and, you know, things get a little old sometimes. They get a little testy sometimes. Talk about Yolitics. Get them to subscribe as well. Tell them that they've got to listen. Uh, and enjoy being with family and friends again uh, this year because I know that last year was an, was an odd one for sure. Uh, wishing you a safe and happy Thanksgiving, travels, whatever you do. And uh, we'll see you again next week.